Uvula Audio presents Volume 7 of the Sea Fairies. Chapter 14 Captain Joe and Captain Bill. The rooms Zog had given his prisoners were as handsome as all other parts of this strange enchanted castle. Gold was used plentifully in the decorations, and in the rose chamber, occupied by the mermaids and Trot, golden roses formed a border around the entire room. The sea maidens had evidently been expected, for the magician had provided couches for them to recline upon, similar to the ones used in the mermaid palaces. The frames were of mother-of-pearl and the cushions of soft white sponges. In the room were toilet tables, mirrors, ornaments, and many articles used by earth people, which they afterwards learned had been plundered by Zog from sunken ships and brought to his castle by his allies, the Sea Devils. While the mermaids were examining and admiring their room, Captain Bill went to the peony room to see what it was like, and found his quarters very cozy and interesting. There were pictures on the walls, portraits of grave-looking porpoises, bashful seals, and smug and smiling walruses. Some of the wall panels were formed of mirrors and reflected clearly the interior of the room. Around the ceiling was a frieze of imitation peonies in silver, and the furniture was peony-shaped, the broad leaves being bent to form seats and couches. Beside a pretty dressing-table hung a bell-cord, with a tassel at the end. Captain Bill did not know it was a bell-cord, so he pulled it to see what would happen, and was puzzled to find out that nothing seemed to happen at all, the bell being too far away for him to hear. Then he began looking at the treasures contained in this royal apartment, and was much pleased with a golden statue of a mermaid that resembled Princess Clea in feature. A silver flower-vase upon a stand contained a bouquet of gorgeous peonies. "'As natural as life,' said Captain Bill, although he saw plainly that they must be made of metal. Trot came in just then to see how her dear friend was faring. She entered from the doorway that connected the two rooms and said, "'Isn't it pretty, Captain? And who'd ever think that awful creature Zog owned such a splendid castle and kept his prisoners in such lovely rooms?' "'I once heard tell,' said the sailor, "'of a foreign people that sacrificed human beings "'to please their pagan gods, "'and before they killed him outright, "'they stuffed the victim full of good things to eat "'and dressed him in pretty clothes "'and treated him like princes. "'That's why I don't take much comfort "'in our fine surroundings, Trot. "'This Zog is a pagan, if ever there was one, "'and he don't mean us any good. "'You may depend on it.' "'No,' "'replied Trot soberly. "'I'm sure he doesn't expect us to be happy here, "'but I'm going to fool him "'and have just as good a time as I can.' "'As she spoke, they both turned around, "'an easy thing to do with a single flop "'of their flexible tails, "'and Cap'n Bill uttered a cry of surprise. "'Just across the room "'stood a perfect duplicate of himself. "'The round head, with its bald top, and scraggly whiskers, the sailor cap and shirt, the wide pantaloons, even the wooden leg. Each and every one were exact copies of those owned by Cap'n Bill. Even the expression in the light blue eyes was the same, 
and it is no wonder the old sailor stared at his double in amazement. But the next minute he laughed and said, Why, Trot, it's me reflected in a mirror. But at first I thought it was someone else. Trot was staring too. Captain, she whispered, look at that wooden leg. Well, it's my wooden leg, isn't it? he inquired. If it is, it can't be a reflection in a mirror, Captain, she argued. "'For you haven't got a wooden leg. "'You've got a fish's tail right now.' "'The old sailor was so startled by this truth "'that he gave a great flop with his tail "'that upset his balance "'and made him keel a somersault in the water "'before he got upright again. "'Then he found the other sailor man laughing at him "'and was horrified to find the reflection "'advancing toward them "'by stumping along on its wooden leg. "'Keep away!' "'Get out of here!' yelled Captain Bill. "'You're a ghost! A ghost of me that once was! "'And I can't bear the sight of you! Get out!' "'Did you just ring to tell me to get out?' asked the other in a mild voice. "'I... I didn't ring!' declared Captain Bill. "'You did! You pulled the bell cord!' said the one-legged one. "'Oh, pulling that thing rang a bell!' inquired the captain, a little ashamed of his ignorance and reassured by hearing this ghost talk. "'It surely did,' was the reply. "'And Sacco told me to answer your bill to look after you. So I am a-looking after you.' "'I wish you wouldn't,' protested Captain Bill. "'I've no use for... for ghostses, anyhow.' The strange sailor began to chuckle at hearing this, Arr, and his ha, chuckle ha, was ha, just ha, like Captain ha, Bill's ha, chuckle. "'so full of merry humor that it usually made everyone else laugh with him. "'Who are you?' asked Trot, who was very curious and much surprised. "'Why, I'm Captain Joe,' was the reply. "'Captain Joe Weedles, formerly the brig Gladsome, "'and now a slave of Zog at the bottom of the sea.' "'J-J-J-J-Joe Weedles!' gasped Captain Bill, amazed. "'Joe Weedles of the Gladsome! Why, dash my eyes, mate!' "'You must be me brother!' "'Are you Bill Weedles?' asked the other, and then he added, "'But no, you can't be. Bill twasn't no mermaid. "'He were a human critter like myself.' "'That's what I am,' said Captain Bill hastily. "'I'm a human critter, too. "'I've just borrowed this fishtail to swim with while I'm visiting the mermaids.' "'Well, well,' said Captain Joe in amazement. "'Who'd a thought it?' And who'd ever thought it that I'd find me long-lost brother in Zog's enchanted castle, full fifty phantoms deep down in the wet, wet water? Why is for that? replied Captain Bill. It's you as is the long-lost brother and not me. You and your ship disappeared many a year ago and ain't never been heard since. While as for me, I am living on the earth yet. You don't look at all appearances, remarked Captain Joe in a reflective tone of voice. But I'll agree it's many a year since I saw the top of the water, and I'm not expecting to ever tramp on dry land again. Are you dead, or drowned, or what? asked Captain Bill. Neither one nor t'other, was the answer. But Saw gave me gills so I could live in the water like fishes do, and if I got on land I couldn't breathe air any more than a fish out of water can. So I guess as long as I live, I'll have to stay down here. Do you like it? asked Trot. "'Oh, I don't object much,' said Captain Joe. 
There ain't much excitement here, for we don't catch a flock of mermaids every day. But the work is easy and the rations fair. I might have been worse off, you know, for when my brig was wrecked, I'd have gone to Davy Joe's locker if Zog hadn't happened to find me and made me a fish. You don't look as much like a fish as Captain Bill does right now, observed Trot. Perhaps not, said Captain Joe, but I notice Bill ain't got any gills and breathes like you and the mermaids does. When he gets back on land, he'll have two legs again and live in the comfortable breathing air. But I won't have two legs, asserted Captain Bill. For when I'm on earth, I'm fitted with one wooden leg, just the same as you are, Joel. Oh, I hadn't heard of that, Bill, but I'm not surprised, replied Brother Joe. Many a sailor gets to wear a wooden leg in time. Mine's hickory. So's mine, said Captain Bill with an air of pride. I'm glad to run across you, Joe, for I often wondered what had become of you. Seems too bad, though, to have you spend all your life under water. What are the odds? asked Captain Joe. I never could keep away from the water since I was a boy, and there's more dangers to be met floating on it than there was soaking in it. And one other thing pleases me when I think on it. I imparted from me wife, a mighty good woman with a tongue like a two-edged sword, and my poor widow will get insurance money and live happy. As for me, Bill, I'm a good deal happier than I was when she kept scolding me from morning till night every minute I was home. Is Zog a kind master? asked Trot. I can't say he's kind, replied Captain Joe. For he's as near a devil as any living critter can be. He grumbles and growls in his soft voice all day, and hates himself and everybody else. But I don't see much of him. There's so many of us slaves here that Zog don't pay much attention to us, and we have a pretty good time when the old magician is shut up in his den as he mostly is. Could you help us escape? asked the child. I don't know how, admitted Captain Joe. There's magic all around us, and we slaves are never allowed to leave this great cave. I'll do what I can, of course, but Sako is the boy to help ya, if anyone can. That little chap knows a heap, I can tell ya. So now, if nothing more is wanted, I have to get back to work. What work do you do? Captain Bill asked. I sew buttons on Zog's clothes. Every time he gets mad, he busts his buttons off, and I've got to sew them back on again. As he's mad most of the time, it keeps me busy. I'll see you again, won't I, Joe? said Captain Bill. No reason why you shouldn't, if you manage to keep alive. But you mustn't forget, Bill, that Zog has his grip on you, and I've never known anything to escape him yet. Saying this, the old sailor began to stump toward the door, but tripped his foot against his wooden leg and gave a swift dive forward. He would have fallen flat had he not grabbed the drapery by the doorway and saved himself by holding fast to it with both hands. Even then he rolled and twisted so awkwardly before he could get upon his legs that Trot had to laugh outright at his antics. "'It's this hickory leg,' said Captain Joe. "'It's so blamed light it always wants to float. Agagru, the gold worker, has promised me a gold leg that will stay down, but he never gets around to it.' You're a mighty lucky Bill to have a merman's tail instead of legs. I guess I am, Joe, replied Bill, for in such a wet country the fishes have the best of it. But I ain't sure I like this sort of thing always. Think of the money you'd make in a side show, said Captain Joe, 
with his funny chuckling laugh. Then he pounded his wooden leg against the hard floor and managed to hobble from the room without more accidents. When he was gone, Trot said, Aren't you glad to find your brother again, Cap'n Bill? Why, so-so, replied the sailor. I don't know much about Joe, seeing as we haven't met before for so long a year. And all I remember about our boyhood days is that we fit and pulled hair most of the time. But what worries me most is Joe's looking so much like meself, wooden leg and all. Don't you think it's rather cheeky and unbrotherly, Trot? Perhaps he can't help it, suggested the child. Anyhow, he'll never be able to live on land again. No, said Cap'n Bill with a sigh. Joe's a fish now, and so he ain't likely to be took for me by any of our friends on the earth. Chapter 15 The Magic of the Mermaids When Trot and Cap'n Bill entered the Rose Chamber, they found the two mermaids reclining before an air fountain that was sending thousands of tiny bubbles up through the water. These fountains of air are excellent things, remarked Queen Aquarain. For they keep the water fresh and sweet, and that is more necessary when it is confined by walls as it is in this castle. But now let us counsel together and decide what to do in the emergency that confronts us. How can we tell what to do without knowing what's going to happen next? asked Trot. Something's sure to happen, said Captain Bill. As if to prove his words, a gong suddenly sounded at their door, and in walked a fat little man clothed all in white, including a white apron and a white cap. His face was round and jolly, and he had a big mustache that curled up at the ends. Well, well, said the little man, spreading out his legs and putting his hands on his hips as he stood looking at them. Of all the queer things in the sea, you're the queerest. Mermaids, eh? Don't bunch us that way protested Cap'n Bill. "'You're quite wrong,' said Trot. "'I'm a—a a girl.' "'With a fish's tail?' he asked, laughing at her. "'That's only just for a while,' she said. "'Well, I'm in the water, you know. When I'm at home on land, I walk just as you do. And so the Cap'n Bill—' "'But we haven't any gills,' remarked the Cap'n, looking closely at the little man's throat. "'So I take it we're not as fishy as some others.' "'If you mean me, I must admit you're right,' said the little man, twisting his mustaches. "'I'm as near a fish as a man can be. "'But you see, Captain, without the gills that make me a fish, I could not live under water.' "'When it comes to that, you've no business to live under the water. "'But I suppose you're a slave and you can't help it.' "'I'm the chief cook for that old horror, Zog, and that reminds me... "'Good mermaids, or good people, or good girls and sailors, or whatever you are. "'I'm sent here to ask what you'd like to eat.' "'Glad to see you, sir,' said Captain Bill. "'I've nearly starved myself.' "'I've had it in mind,' said the little man, "'to prepare a regular mermaid dinner. "'But since you're not mermaids—' "'Well, two of us are,' said the Queen, smiling. "'I, my good cook, am Aquarain. "'the ruler of the mermaids, and this is the Princess Clea. "'I've heard of you, your majesty,' returned the chief cook, bowing respectfully. 
and I must say I've heard only good of you. Now that you have unfortunately become my master's prisoners, it will give me great pleasure to serve you as well as I am able. We are thankful, good sir, said Aquarain. What have you got to eat? inquired Trot. Seems to me I'm hollow all the way down to my toes. My tail, I mean. And it'll take a lot to fill me up. We haven't eaten a morsel since breakfast, you know. I think I shall be able to give you almost everything you would like, said the cook. Vlog is a wonderful magician and can procure anything that exists with no more effort than a wiggle of his thumb. But some eatables, you know, are hard to serve under water because they get so damp and they are soon ruined. Ah, it is different with the mermaids, said Princess Clea. Yes, all your things are kept dry because they are surrounded by air. I've heard how mermaids live, but here it is different. Take this ring, said the queen, handing the chief cook a circlet, which she drew from her finger. While it is in your possession, the food you prepare will not get wet, or even moist. I thank you, Majesty, returned the cook, taking the ring. My name is Tom Otto, and I'll do my best to please you. How would you like for luncheon some oysters on the half shell, clam broth, shrimp salad, broiled turtle steak, and watermelon? That will do very nicely, answered the queen. Do watermelons grow in the sea? asked Trot. Of course, that's why they're called watermelons, replied Tom Otto. I think I shall serve you water ice in addition to the rest. Water ice is an appropriate seafood. Have some watercress with the salad, too, said Captain Bill. I thought of that, declared the cook. Doesn't my bill of fare make your mouth water? Hurry up and get it ready, suggested Trot. Tom Otto at once bowed and retired. And when they were alone, Captain Bill said to the Queen, Do you think, ma'am, we can manage to escape from Zog and his castle? I hope we shall find a way, replied Aquarain. The evil powers of magic which Zog controls may not prove to be as strong as the fairy powers I possess. But of course I cannot be positive until I discover what this wicked magician is able to do. Princess Clea was looking out one of the windows. I think I can see an opening far up in the top of the dome. They all hastened to the window to look, and although Trot and Captain Bill could see nothing but a solid dome above the castle, perhaps because it was so far away from them, the sharp eyes of Aqua Rain were not to be deceived. Yes, she announced. There is surely an opening in the center of the great dome. A little thought must convince us that such an opening is bound to exist, for otherwise the water confined within the dome would not be fresh or clear. Then if we could escape this castle, we could just swim up to that hole in the dome and get free, exclaimed Trot. Why, Zog has probably ordered the opening well guarded, as he has all other outlets, responded the queen. Yet it may be worth while for us to make the attempt to get back into the broad ocean this way. The night would be the best time, when all are asleep. 
Surely it will be quicker to reach the ocean through that hole in the roof than by means of the long winding passages by which we entered. But we'll have to break out of the castle in some way, observed Captain Bill. That will not be difficult, answered Aqua Rain. It will be no trouble for me to shatter one of these panes of glass, allowing us to pass out and swim straight up to the top of the dome. Let's do it now, said Trot eagerly. No, my dear, we must wait for a good opportunity when we are not watched closely. We do not wish the terrible Zog to thwart our plan, answered the Queen gently. Presently, two sailor boys entered, bearing trays of food which they placed upon a large table. They were cheery faced young fellows, with gills at their throats, but had laughing eyes, and Trot was astonished not to find any of the slaves of Zog. "'weeping or miserable. "'Instead, they were as jolly and good-natured as could be, "'and seemed to like their life under the water. "'Captain Bill asked one of these boys "'how many slaves are in the castle. "'The youth replied that he would try to count them "'and let him know. "'Tom Otto had, they found, "'prepared for them an excellent meal, "'and they ate heartily because they were really hungry. "'After luncheon, Captain Bill smoked his pipe contentedly, "'and they renewed their conversation.' planning various ways to outwit Zog and make their escape. While thus engaged, the gong at the door sounded, and Sako entered. "'My diabolical master commands you to attend him,' said the boy. "'When?' asked Aqua Rain. "'At once, Your Majesty.' "'Very well. We will follow you,' she said. So they swam down the corridors, following Sako, until they again reached the golden-domed room they had formerly visited. Here sat Zog, just as they had left him, seemingly. But when his prisoners entered, the magician arose and stood upon his cloven feet, and then silently walked to a curtained archway. Sako commanded the prisoners to follow, and beyond the archway they found a vast chamber that occupied the center of the castle, that was as big as a ballroom. Zog, who seemed to walk with much difficulty, because his ungainly body swayed back and forth, did not go far beyond the arched entrance. A golden throne was set nearby, and in this the monster seated himself. At one side of the throne stood a group of slaves. They were men, women, and children. All had broad gold bands clasped around their ankles as badges of servitude, and at each throat were the fish's gills that enabled them to breathe and live under water. Yet every face was smiling and serene, even in the presence of their dread master. In parts of the big hall were groups of other slaves. Sako ranged the prisoners in a circle before Zog's throne, and slowly the magician turned his eyes, glowing like live coals upon the four. Captives! he said, speaking in his clear, sweet voice. In our first interview you defied me, and both the mermaid queen and the princess declared they could not die. But, if that is a true statement, as I have yet to discover, there are various ways to make you miserable and unhappy, and this I propose to do in order to amuse myself at your expense. You have been brought here to undergo the first trial of strength between us. None of the prisoners replied to this speech, 
So Zog turned to one of his slaves and said, Rivy, bring in the yell-maker. Rivy was a big fellow, brown of skin, with flashing black eyes. He bowed to his master and left the room by an archway covered with heavy draperies. The next moment these curtains were violently pushed aside, and a dreadful sea creature swam into the hall. It had a body much like that of a crab, only more round and of jet-black color. Its eyes were bright yellow balls set on the ends of two horns that stuck out of its head. They were cruel-looking eyes, too, and seemed able to see every person in the room at the same time. The legs of the yell-maker, however, were the most curious part of the creature. There were six of them, slender and black as coal, and each extended twelve to fifteen feet from its body when stretched out in a straight line. They were hinged in several places so they could be folded up or extended at will. At the ends of these thin legs were immense claws shaped like those of a lobster, and they were real nippers of the most dangerous sort. The prisoners knew, as soon as they saw the awful claws, why this thing was called the Yell-Maker, and Trot gave a little shiver and crept closer to Cap'n Bill. Zog looked with approval upon the creature that he had summoned, and said to it, I give you four victims, the four people with fishes' tails. Let me hear how loud they can yell. The yell-maker uttered a grunt of pleasure, and in a flash stretched out one of its long legs toward the queen's nose, where its powerful claws came together with a loud snap. Aqua Rain did not stir. She only smiled. Both Zog and the creature that had attacked her seemed much surprised to find she was unhurt. "'Again!' cried Zog, and again the yell-maker's claw shot out and tried to pinch the queen's pretty ear. But the magic of the fairy mermaid was proof against this sea rascal's strength and swiftness. Nor could he touch any part of Aqua Rain, although he tried again and again, roaring with anger like a mad bull." Trot began to enjoy this performance, and as her merry, childish laughter rang out, the yell-maker turned furiously upon the little girl. Two of the dreadful claws tried to nip at her at the same time. She had no chance to cry out or jump backwards, yet she remained unharmed, for the fairy circle of Queen Aqua Rain kept her safe. Now Captain Bill was attacked, and Princess Clea as well. The half-dozen slender legs darted in every direction, like sword thrusts, to reach their victims, and the cruel claws snapped so rapidly that the sound was like the rattling of castanets. But the four prisoners regarded their enemy with smiling composure, and no yell greeted the yell-maker's efforts. "'Enough,' said Zog, sweetly and softly. "'You may retire, my poor yell-maker,' for with these people you are powerless. The creature paused and rolled its yellow eyes. May I nip just one of the slaves, O oh great Zog? It asked pleadingly. I hate to leave without pleasing your ears with a single yell. Leave my slaves alone, was Zog's answer. They are here to serve me and must not be injured. Go, feeble one. Not so, cried the queen. It is a shame, Zog, that such an evil thing should exist in our fair sea. With this, she drew her fairy wand from a fold of her gown, 
and waved it toward the creature. At once the yell-maker sank down unconscious upon the floor. Its legs fell apart in many pieces, the claws tumbling in a heap beside its body. They all grew withered and lost shape, becoming a pulpy mass, like gelatin. A few moments later the creature had melted away to nothing at all, forever disappearing from the ocean where had it caused so much pain and horror. Zog watched this destruction with surprising patience. When it was all over, he nodded his head and smiled, and Trot noticed that whenever Zog smiled, his sleighs lost their jolly looks and began to tremble. "'That is very pretty magic, Aquarain,' said the monster. "'I myself learned the trick several thousand years ago, so it does not astonish me. Have you fairies nothing that is new to show me?' "'We desire only to protect ourselves,' replied the queen with dignity. "'Then I will give you a chance to do so,' said Zog. As he spoke, the great marble blocks in the ceiling of the room, directly over the heads of the captives, gave way and came crashing down upon them. Many tons of weight were in these marble blocks, and the magician had planned to crush his victims where they stood. But the four were still unharmed. The marble being unable to touch them was diverted from its course, and when the roar of the great crash had died away, Zog saw his intended victims standing quietly in their places, smiling scornfully at his weak attempts to destroy them. <laughs>